0: Crime Conversations bring together the biggest names in true crime, recorded live at CrimeCon 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk.
1: Hello and welcome to Behind the Mic at CrimeCon. We did this on a small scale at CrimeCon in London and what I've managed to do is wrangle, I would argue, some of the best podcasters in Britain into a tiny room with possibly the worst view out of any A-window you've ever (laughs) seen. Um, I'm Bob from Twisted Britain. I'm joined, as always, by Ali, my co-host in Twisted Britain. We are, however, joined in this... Tiny Little Room by Adam from True Crime, Chantel from The Lady True Crime Justice, Oshin from The Troubles, Casey from Cult Cult Vault, you have to get that one right, everybody, (laughs) Mike from Murderbile, and Paul, the true crime enthusiast. Um, And I would be amiss to state again that I think this is probably the first time we've all sat down together in a room in front of a microphone. We've all sat down in many a room together, Mm -hmm. most of it involving alcohol. Uh, This is, of course... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> this is a course involving <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. But what we thought we would do, we would just take a moment, uh, maybe half an hour out of our CrimeCon day, which has been pretty good so far. I've had fun. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Boozy. Boozy.
1: boozy. 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 Um, Ali and I missed the Friday night this year of the first, uh, the inaugural Glasgow Tri- uh, CrimeCon. And based on everybody's faces when we arrived, I'm very sad we missed it. It seems like it was a very good night, but we're going to have a good time today anyway. So I'll probably just open up the microphones. Um, it's a bit of an awkward scenario. We'll put a photo up to go with this when we, when we release it. There are, what's that, eight of us sat around four microphones. So we're being friendly, shall we say. Um, kick us off, I suppose, the obvious question is, why do you podcast? Um, anybody want to go with why do you podcast?
2: Because we love it. We love what we do We love telling stories We're storytellers We find I think I do it Because I find people fascinating Mm. People are People are real And original But Biographies I I don't know whether you guys agree When you read a biography It's kind of not Honest Or an autobiography It's not honest It's not real Whereas murder is unbiased If you're an arsehole It's going to come out And we're shameless
3: money (laughs) whores
4: Shameless money whore. I I wish we all were. (laughs) I don't think anyone starts the podcast to make money, but I guess after you spend a lot of your life, you spend, you know, I I found myself, I was doing more on the podcast than my full-time job. So Mm. then it kind of turns into something different, I think. And I think some people, the love goes out of it then when you start kind of chasing financial goals, I guess, even the ways to phrase it. But once you kind of remember why you're doing this in the first place and how much you enjoy what you do, I think that's important.
2: I I don't think any of us really started this as a journey in order to be famous and rich. Oh, no. Because that's a joke. We just do it because we love it. Yeah.
5: I was saying earlier, if I was to have this podcast and nobody was listening, I would still be doing mm-hmm. it week in, week out. Yeah, it's your passion, it.
3: isn't it? Yeah,
1: of course. I suppose then the obvious follow-up to that, then, Ocean, you've just said, you know, it does take over your life ever so slightly. You know, it does become more than a full-time job, and I don't think anybody here would disagree with that. Who, who would you... How much time would you say that this takes out of a day to create an episode? One episode of your podcast. I'll I'll throw it to Casey. How long does it take for you to put together a podcast?
0: Well, my show is interview-based and it's a long-form podcast. So each episode is two to three hours in length after it's been edited. And the pre-interview process that goes into actually collecting the information that's needed prior to the interview with the guest and then editing the episode after you've had the interview. It's it's around eight to ten hours per episode, and after two hundred episodes, you're looking at a thousand hours of podcast content, which is probably wow. still hours and hours behind Adam because he's been here forever.
1: <laughs> I like, am the envy of podcasting.
0: Hey. <laughs> well,
1: I suppose since since you've been brought up and, and highlighted Adam, what? You've been what, uh, what episode are we on now for UK True Crime? How far are we in? Um, 303, plus, of course, the fantastic Patreon episodes, which I recommend. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all of us on Patreon by just uh, looking... Money f- whore. Money <laughs> 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 <Yeah, laughs> <I> <laughs> um, whore. Uh, you and I have uh, talked in the past about the way that you put your podcast together, and I would say it's probably slightly different to some people. Um, I remember doing the behind the mic with Sinead at Crown Con in London and she talked about 20-30 hours going into an episode and when we talked about it both of us were shocked at how much she puts into it, it it's, it's obvious in her content that that's how much goes into it obviously but when we talked about it we both said it's nowhere near that much but when you boil it down it's still a lot of time
6: mm.
1: I think the difference is
6: if I'm sitting here in a room like with Mike and Casey here the, the amount of research they put into their episodes is tremendous and pulled as well but with mine, I produce weekly, and I aim for 25 minutes of content. So it's less in depth, um, but it's consistent every single week. I have to bring it out. That's the thing, um, and it's questioning about the the length of time. So I aim for 25 minutes, because it's the sort of time that people have if you're you walking the dog Dogs or, comm- or commutes, commutable time, yeah,
0: washing the dishes or folding the washing. Yeah. yeah.
6: But sometimes I love a, like, like some of yours, Mike. Uh, um, what's your name? <laughs> <Level> <laughs> in the blue. Oh that's Paul isn't it <laughs> Like some of your hour and a half ones yeah, you, know, you can really sit down really
1: get into it and I love that deep dive as well Yeah and I think that's probably the, the difference there is what we've got around the room Is different, we're all under the same genre Of true, true crime With different versions, we've got yourself at Adam I'm aiming at 25 minutes We've got your interview style as you go up And then I I think it would go without saying That, that Oisin and, and Paul you both Produce kind of uh, Series based Podcast, certainly more so recently for yourself, yeah. Paul. Yes. How different do you find that from being uh, a case a week or a case every.
3: I, I find that with multi part ones, like I've, I've tried to do a se- once a series, I try to do a deep dive into one thing, it might be a bit more famous. Um, but I think it doesn't take, though, say it might be eight episodes, right? You can write two episodes in one if you know what I mean mm-hmm. and then you just compartmentalise and break it down so but going back to what you said before I would say it's a minimum of 24 to 30 hours a week to do mm-hmm. and that's research writing mm-hmm. recording
4: editing everything it's a real second job I, I was really upset when I when I had my like pilot episode so I wrote loads I had about 3,000 words and I was like grand this is going to be hours long mm-hmm. I recorded it and I was like 15 minutes mm. yeah. so I was like I can't speak any slower so then I realised it's just the meat what I want I want probably about 35-40 minutes is what I go for um, and I just yeah, I, you have to write an exceptional amount of words i realised when compared to like a chat conversa- a conversational podcast where you just talk to somebody so I remember just being quite upset and I was like oh I'm, this is going to be a big labour mm-hmm. you know. and now I'm 45 episodes in and it's um, it's just kind of gone I guess because when you get into it when I literally when I get into writing an episode I almost start rocking because it just the the writing flow goes really well, mm-hmm. and when that goes really well, it's brilliant. And then I get into like the court case, then the appeal, and then this court case, that court case, and then you get into the muck of it. And when you're in the muck, it takes a few day it takes a few hours to get me out of that muck, which is the muddle of the story that's lost. Mm-hmm. And then you, when you unravel that, eventually you get to the end.
5: So it's, it's sometimes the longest bit is untangling all those little. Bits that you've got because you've got all this information and you kind of collect it all and then you've got to sort it and it is it's that sorting it all out and going well that's going to go there and that's going to go there and that's going to go there.
6: I think I think it's really interesting. We a lot of people we know that started podcasts especially during lockdown and those podcasts what's it called pod fade isn't it? They're not still producing it because as Paul has said, even for my shorter podcast, I still reckon it's fifteen hours on each episode. Easily
3: easily, yes. I, I have a little kind of quirk that when I write. Um, as Ashman was saying before, about three thousand words, and that's fifteen minutes. I, I, when I get to myself, and this is just a personal thing for me, when I get past the seven thousand word mark, it feels like I've broken the back of it, mm. and then I can.
5: When you're at like seven thousand, you know you're at about forty minutes. Two. Yeah, and yeah. then you yeah. kind of can that's relax right. into a it a little bit the there. Up, yeah.
3: Exactly right. Yeah, gonna put that back on I?
5: I,
1: I, I would like to interject here just ever so briefly. I aim for about three thousand words but I don't script my podcast. Ali and I both, I would say, have a completely different take on how we do things. Ali, you you would write a script. I script the entire thing. I do it like most people. I do four to 5,000 words,
7: and that'll do me maybe half an hour. But I've got Bob as well to bounce off of, so
1: it's almost like half of an interview style. Yeah, whereas I don't write a script at all. I do a shed load of... So my research process is listening to content of other people who have maybe coloured cases, and be that um, other podcasters. Um, Paul, I've told you a, a few times I've used your old blog as, as a, a research portal, uh, reading more books than I ever have done before, actually. And it's one of the best things about podcasting is I read a lot more now than I ever did before. But I bullet point things, and it baffles Ali's mind. I turn up with a two-page set of bullet points, and then I just go for it and talk. And it, To me, it means that because of the way our podcast works, uh, because there is interjection and talking over each other, if he starts talking, I don't need to put my finger on where we were. I can just go, right, well, he talked about that, so right,
4: scrap that shite, we can move on to the next bit. Um, can I ask, do you... We, we, I made this term up with my friends, we call it, like, the village idiot, which is like... Oh, that is me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, like, say... So, say Exactly. If you guys, I'm not familiar with your format, so say if you prepare an episode, one of you prepares the episode, and then the other is just the person who's not prepared, doesn't prepare, and then just kind of acts like the listener and kind of that's how it works isn't exactly, it so you swap on yeah. and off
1: yeah we we call it the wiki read so one of us prepares an episode and the other one reads the first paragraph on wikipedia just okay, to yeah, know yeah. the name and the year <laughs> and that's about it and, and to be honest half the time we don't even do that
0: it's interesting that that's your format because i was just speaking to, to cherry downstairs from crimpedia and she mentioned that her co-host morgan who's based in america he scripts word for word his when it's his turn, they, they, they alternate weekly. When it's his turn to present a case, he will script everything, whereas Cherry will bullet point. When it's her week, so it sounds quite similar to you and Ali in that sense.
1: It's the ginger in her,
0: that's what <laughs> it is.
2: <laughs>
6: Let me just interject here. So Mike here, I always think of Mike as the king of research. Maybe you can just share with the group how you research, because you take it to
2: another level, don't you? Uh, I, I, I'm of the belief that you should start with nothing. Because I think, I think too often, if if you take someone else's work, it, it, it won't be exactly true, it'll be their interpretation of it. So I like to start absolutely fresh. I, I always go searching for a, a file in the archives, the court records, or police files. I don't like to know anything about it. All I like to know is, is it within my area? Like, West End of London, what era? And you open up the file, and page one, it says... Susan found a handbag on Tuesday and you go, Who's Susan? What's the handbag? When was Tuesday? Why? And it's it's like someone's got given you a manuscript for a novel and they haven't put the page numbers on it, and well, then they've dropped it on the floor, and suddenly you have to start working out what everything is. I but think that's what I love. When
5: you're doing that, when you're going through those primary sources then, because you, you're going in completely blind, how many times do you get like halfway through going, oh no, this might have potential? for it the thing, and then for it to just drop how many times does that happen yeah
2: quite often quite often that frustrates me. I, I've got to a point now in the old days I'd have to read every page but now it's got to the point where I can quickly assess it
5: yeah. and
2: I've got to the point of now being able to pick up the file and just go okay I know that there's going to be one document in here that I need to read first so I need to find that and yeah. go in reverse so yeah, I love it. I love, I love. I, I think it's useful to, to know as little as possible, but that's just my method.
1: I've always found your take on what you do in your podcast really interesting. Uh, I'm sure we've probably talked about this uh, over a few beers in the past, probably. Really? <laughs>
5: it's
1: not as if we don't you guys? do that. Um, have, a, have a drink. We'll come back to you. Um, and I know the answer to this, but I just I find it really interesting. You started with literally a square mile, or a, or a street, or a, or a mile mm. of London. And you've created essentially a life off of that mile from your tours, your podcasts, the whole lot. Is there an end to that mile or are you just going to stretch it out?
2: See, I, I, when I started doing the walking tour, I, it was a two-hour tour and I thought, I hope there's enough murders in order to do a two-hour tour. <laughs> and literally, you, you, you just do a, a short bullet point for each, uh, each uh, case. Now it's got to the point where we, I keep going back to the nucleus. So it's not even the square mile, it's five streets within the square mile. Um, And it's to the point now I'll be doing a live show next year where I'm focusing on one street and I've got a two-hour show of every murder that's been on this one street and I don't even know if I can contain it into two hours.
0: So now you're saying, please, no more... Murders, (laughs)
2: unless they're funny. I'm going to say, please, no more
1: murders. I think think that I would happily run out of content for True Crime podcasting. We've got enough
5: content as there is. There would be the history of murders. We can stop now.
1: (laughs) Um, Does anybody else want to share their? Where did we come from? Like Mike says, he started just by looking at um, a a street. Where, where, Casey? Where did your podcast come from? What did what made you do it? Well,
0: actually, my podcast was born in lockdown, but. It was different in the sense that uh, we just had our first child who was four months old and my partner was a key worker and I was just tearing my hair out in the house I I suddenly had this huge identity switch I went from being Casey to being Casey the mum and everything revolved around this responsibility uh, that I had My, my everything in my life had obviously turned upside down but but different to, the, to new typical parents because we didn't have help from family coming coming in. Nobody could leave the house. Um, so it was really something that would be for me. Personal, yeah. Something outside of, of you know, breastfeeding and nappy changing um, and trying to get sleep when the baby would never sleep, that sort of thing, um, and so I tried cooking and almost made my partner sick, and then I tried knitting, which bored me almost to death. So, um, so I, I switched to podcasting with the intention of covering unsolved mysteries, which was just something that I personally found interesting, and um, and then somehow ended up on the subject of cults. So, um, but I have found. Every single person that I've spoken to is so absolutely fascinating that I can't see myself, hopefully, being one of these podcasts that just kind of fades out after we come finally out of the very end of, of the COVID era. Well,
1: you're, you're locked in this room with us now for the next ten you're days. you We're yeah, not going to let you stop. That's <laughs> it. Chantel, you've had a you had an interesting journey through podcasting. Um, pers- <laughs> per- personal for you, was it
5: start? In a way, I've, I've come from a background of a, a lot of violence and kind of not it being quite even, so I've never been normal. And to, to me, all that kind of murder and crime and things like that, I'm very desensitised to it. So I can look at a lot of it and it not really affect me. And I listen to a lot of true crime. I listen to both, like, Adam and Paul and, Mike before and i listened to you guys before you I did, said. You did. I thanks did. for adding in there thanks <laughs> no i was just trying to think before i had started i hadn't listened to you guys and I, i'd taken like a year of false starts of like wanting to do it just never having the confidence to do it and it was part kind of i've got a drama degree i'm not using my drama degree anymore my identity was wrapped up in my kind of family life and having something extra and then kind of doing it and i didn't tell anyone You made me tell people, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest is history. And I wouldn't ever want to stop. Even if I only got, like, six listeners, that would be it. I'd still do it.
1: So I'd like to pull this back to um, somebody else in the room um, who didn't start podcasting because he wanted to. (laughs) Alistair, how did you start podcasting? I started podcasting
7: when you asked me to. (laughs) Because you were obviously doing Twisted Britain with Nadine. And it was fantastic. Thanks. It was very, very good. Almost
1: as good as it is now. Almost. <laughs> I'll tell her you said that as well. Uh, I'll, I'll stand by it. It's, it's one of these things that you... we I had to twist your arm to do it. Um, and actually, when we went to CrimeCon... Uh, the first time we went to CrimeCon in, in London, 2021, 20, um, you pretty much had no idea about true crime. But I... Th- Without speaking for you, I would say you've found a a network of people that you enjoy producing content for. Oh, yeah, fantastic people. Um, And although I didn't have a
7: background in true crime, uh, history was always a huge passion uh, of mine. And so I got into it more to tell stories, Uh, so much that quite a few of my cases, to begin with, contained almost no crime. (laughs) Literally none. (laughs) (laughs) My two stipulations from Bob were it has to be British and it has to be crime,
1: and I've failed on that a good half a dozen times. (laughs) I'd like to point out the episode that you did about a French pigeon, um, (laughs) (laughs) that that now is a Victoria Cross. Um, Great story. Great story. I can't remember what episode it was, but we'll we'll come back to it. Um, As I said just previously, Paul, you started with a blog.
3: Yeah, I started with a blog. Which uh, ages
1: you quite... (laughs)
2: <laughs> I
3: started it on MySpace. Yeah, Tom's still my friend on there. Um, yeah, I did. I started it as a blog, and it's thanks to uh, the gentleman sat next to you that I got my own show. Actually, when he put out a, a, a sort of a, a call for people to research and write episodes for him, so I did what? I think it's about three or four,
6: I think. Yeah, and the, the episodes that Paul wrote for me were. Got really great responses as well. Yeah.
0: Hang on, all roads lead back to Adam. Are you the Godfather? Yeah, he <laughs> is actually. Really does. No, yeah, he's, he's, a he's the Podfather. We, he's
5: No,
1: well,
0: we actually. We, okay, he's the Podfather. Oh, there we go. We're
5: okay. get
1: I would say about half an hour ago, before we all came up to this room to sit down, and I've been badgering you all to come up and do this, and and uh, somebody asked you the question, who do you think would be the leader of the cult?
0: Adam said nothing. Adam mm. just
1: sat there mm. and knew he was the leader. <laughs> We'll move away from that before <laughs> before before he punishes it's, us. It's starts um, to get a bit awkward now. <laughs> what's the? Um, I was going to say what's the case, but um, what's the episode or case that sticks with you that, that 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 means the most? What's the one that you're most proud of, or what's the one that you just can't get out of your head? Uh, anyone at all?
3: Well, I'd say personally for myself because I get asked this quite often. I don't know how you can have a favourite murder. Mm. I, I really don't like. I could say certainly the case that's. That will stick with me most of them is from the first series of the show, and it's the monster of Worcester.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I don't even think I need to go into that. Really, it speaks for itself like mine does. Of.
1: And what is it that, that, that what
3: is it that sticks with you about that? It's the, well, the sheer horror of what that fella did to those three children mm-hmm. is just.
5: So how did you feel when the the updates kind of happened? Because you did that episode years ago, and then obviously things have happened since... In the...
3: Yeah, since being released, yeah. hasn't released so Yeah, so how
5: did that kind of feel for you? Because you've covered it and you know the case really well, and did you get much reaction from people?
3: Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, people have got in touch, and oh, I can't believe that they've like that fellow rise. But surprisingly, a lot of people have got in touch and said, I've never heard of this, and I wonder why that's so forgotten. Mm-hmm. And things like the Moores murders are... Yeah. Just still there like that, aren't they? But that, things like that shouldn't be forgotten, that should be remembered. Yeah. Everybody should know that
2: case mm-hmm. is just
1: terrible. Well let's go, let's go around the table then and ask um, Mike. I could probably guess yours. Are we gonna go blackout Ripper here?
2: I, I am slightly obsessed with it. Yeah. I, I really am obsessed with it. I think that was one of the ones that I knew nothing about, and when I started the walking tour, I thought I hope there's something juicy on. These few streets. And the blackout ripper was there. Never heard of it. And it's become an obsession. I think because he, he said that he was not guilty. He went to his deathbed. Having said nothing, he said he was innocent. And so there's a lot of gaps. And so it's been five years now. And I'm still researching his life. Still trying to find out more. Still, I, I, I would, just want to know why. Why did he do what he such abhorrent things? And how could he be so evil... To one person, and then the minute afterwards, be regarded as an utter gentleman. I think that's going to stay with me forever. Because he
1: was an arsehole.
2: Oh. Utter piece. I, I was saying to Paul, it was, uh, Paul was driving me up. The only thing I hate about the Blackout Ripper is when I went back to do two episodes on his earlier crimes, potential crimes, I hated going back into his head. Because mm. in order to understand some of these monsters, I think quite a lot of us do it, that we have to think as them and think about what th- th- their perspective of how they see the world and sometimes it's horrible just to just to be in their shoes that was cheerful <laughs> <laughs> thanks Mike Casey <laughs> um, oh, so,
1: uh, okay, so I suppose maybe for you it's slightly different though isn't it because it's interviews so what's, what's the best interview that? what's the one that you've come out of and gone
0: yes uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure th- there was a few There have been a few comments, posts, emails and things from individuals who have thought about joining a certain group, gone to research them and found an episode about them online, listened to my podcast and then said, I'm so thankful that I found your show because I didn't join. Um, And in turn, people have come out um, and said that listening to other survivor testimonies on my podcast has been the catalyst for them to actually leave Mm the group that they were involved in which is huge Um, but in terms of episodes that stick with me the most there was one gentleman that I interviewed called Kerry Noble who was a former co-leader of a group called the Covenant the Sword and the Arm of the Lord which turned from as cults often do um, a, a kind of intentional living commune styled utopian group in a rural part of America to a very isolated, secluded far-right extremist white supremacist, racist homophobic religious cult who ended up creating their own pipe bombs and putting landmines in the ground around their home and putting bombs in suitcases and leaving them in LGBT friendly churches and and and, um, Kerry actually ended up um, serving time for the crimes that he committed and now he has written books and tours around the world giving talks on on how we can improve ourselves as human beings and he's actually a a really inspiring individual to, to speak to and I think it's only after hours and hours of listening to Survivor Testimony and understanding the psychology of coercive control that you can actually sit down and talk with Kerry and understand that he's not a, a, a hideous human being because of the things that he's done um, which is really important to remember but also difficult to juggle as well
4: mm-hmm. uh, Oshi, you have quite a specific topic for your yeah. podcast uh, my podcast is about the troubles in Northern Ireland um, yeah and I think I put out about 15 episodes or so and it was kind of not, not quite imposter syndrome but it was like I Finally, started to feel a bit comfortable, and I felt like I actually had the authority to speak about this stuff because I'd just been doing so much research. So it was my first interviews with a man by the name of Richard Moore, and he was ten years old when he was kind of looking at a British army post beside his school when a rubber bullet came out of nowhere and got him right between the eyes and blinded him permanently. Um, so he it didn't really let it affect him too much, you know. He was cycling bikes and trying to play football and everything. Like he had a pretty good upbringing. Um, but I was really interested to be like, you know, Richard, how did you manage to avoid turning into hate, turning towards hate? And he was like, well, it was his parents. It's, it's that simple. So a couple of years later, his uncle was then caught up in Bloody Sunday. He was killed in Bloody Sunday. So he just vividly remembers when he was upstairs in his room as a child and his brother was screaming. His brother was 17 or 18, screaming at his mother. They murdered my uncle. They blinded Richard. We have to get them back. We have to essentially say joining the IRA or something. And his parents were just firm, they said, No, we don't turn to hate. We don't turn to this and it was a really, really powerful interview. Um, and it just really stayed with me kind of. And Richard has gone on to have an amazing life. Like he owns a radio station, he has a charity in Africa, he he doesn't he just lives to share goodness and happiness. And though his life has been so affected permanently, he never turned in that direction. And he's almost like a lesson that it doesn't necessarily hate, doesn't have to lead to more hate. And I think that was just really powerful for me. That was, I was literally in tears after the interview. It was a very, very intense interview. I don't think I'll ever match it again, but he was just such a beautiful speaker. You know? I, I don't think I had to do much. Just talk gently to him, I
1: think. I, I remember you telling us about that uh, interview at, at Crime Court in London. You were, we were talking about it, and um, your passion just there and when you were talking about it before shows how much that interview meant to you and yeah. the, the, the content that goes with it is just incredible. It's also a very tricky subject. We'll come back to that in just a moment, however. Uh, Chantelle?
5: Um, Every single one sticks with me, because you you, you live them. While you're researching them, you are living them. Um, But for me, I suppose... (coughs) Um, My two-year anniversary one, um, I did Patricia Hessler. um, She was murdered by her solicitor, who was also her lover... But she just had such... Just one failure after another failure to her. She she wasn't doing it, and she clearly had become troubled because of her life and kept making these these wrong turns. And it's so... You're so close to either becoming a victim or being a perpetrator. The, the, the man who murdered her... Um, He never wanted to do that, and you could tell that from reading his testimony. You could tell he never, ever wanted to a hair on her head. And it's just because it's so close. We are all very, very close to living a completely different life. And I don't know, maybe I see a little bit of myself in her in in that kind of... Because I have that wild tendency that she kind of had. Really? No,
1: <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone get her a beer.
5: <laughs> yeah. I haven't drank today, I'm good. Not yet. It's yeah. <laughs>
1: three o'clock in the afternoon, by the
5: way.
1: <laughs> Adam, you have 300 episodes mm. to choose from. Which is the one that sticks with you?
7: Well,
1: as you know, I don't tend to cover yeah.
6: popular cases. Um, I just don't see the point. I don't think I can add any value to that. But the one popular case, as Mike and Paul will know in our live show at the moment... Tickets still available
1: for
6: Manchester. <laughs> October the 4th. Well done. Um, Money whore. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like that
1: you think I'm going to edit this before I'm talking about. <laughs> <the board. laughs> it's It's the
6: case that I always ask inside. Um, who knows about Stuart Lubbock And the audience? Right. One or two. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Michael Barrymore, the body in the pool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows the Michael <laughs> Barrymore the pool. And what fascinates me so much about it is nine people went to the party. Only eight came out alive. Eight people. They know what happened. This guy, when we first heard the story, my first take on it: well, he must have been gay. His parents weren't aware. That was wrong, and it's absolutely wrong, absolutely wrong. He was raped and he was murdered. And eight people there, they know what happened and they're not telling. How can that possibly be the case? How can no one be found guilty of murder? It's an utter outrage. And his dad, Terry, would have heard him on the TV and the radio. You know, the guy just lived to find out what happened to his son. Now he's died without finding justice. And we think of other other high-profile cases like the Moore's murder that we mentioned earlier, you know, where the families die without having justice. It's, it's just not right, is it? Something's wrong with our legal system that they can't be brought to justice, That right.
1: It's the one thing that always bothers me when we do cases, no matter what it is, and no outcome is worse than knowing the most horrific thing. And... On that note, I will turn to Ali, because he knows that the thing that annoys me most is no outcome, and he keeps doing the bloody cases.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I probably know the answer to this question, but what's the favourite one you've covered or we've covered?
7: Um, for me,
1: I don't like the word favourite
7: because we're not glorifying... Um, What's the most
0: interesting one? Interesting,
7: yeah. is, like, the, the most interesting one for me was the Dreadnought Hoax, which we covered, oh, yeah. that where was uh, uh, Virginia Woolf and three of her Cambridge school friends uh, posed as the Abyssinian royal family in full dress and full blackface uh, and snuck on to... Well, not snuck on, but posing as the Abyssinian royal family, it got a tour of the Royal Navy's new fairly secret battleship. <laughs> Uh, and then went public with it afterwards to shame oh. the Royal Navy. Got it's a full gun salute. Yeah. Didn't they invent their
2: own language? Yeah, that as was well. what I was saying. Yeah. The they couldn't
7: speak Abyssinian, so every time they were shown something impressive, they jumped up and down and said, Bunga Bunga. <laughs> <laughs> and then added some pig that that
5: Latin. <laughs> it's a really from. A good episode, really I've got to admit.
7: <laughs> it's a great episode. That was my favourite one uh, to, well, you first as well. to research and do. It was also the one where I knew I'd continue doing this podcast. Right. The one that affected me most was Jessie King, a Glaswegian uh, woman who adopted and killed children. Uh, And like Mike was saying, sometimes we have to get into the mindset of these people. And I found it inconceivable how somebody could do this to begin with, but then learning what a hard life she had had before that and some of the things that had happened to her. illegitimate children were of course illegal at the time uh, and she was put in an asylum and treated with mercury for her depression <laughs> and it is a tragic story and that one really affected me
0: I think it's only after working in this space though, that you're able to develop that kind of insight and compassion that you've just mentioned there around looking at how she not not the, the hideous crimes at the centre the, but man- the whole around story it. around yeah. how, how it got to that point in the first place and that's exactly the same when you're talking with cult survivors who have recruited other people into coercive environments or have not gone to the police with, with reports of child abuse and, and things like that. So I think that that's, that's really important to mention. Um, and then also to just ask, Bob, what your most interesting case...
1: I thought... Been. I was hoping we'd skip over this. <laughs> um, no, don't press it, no. Um, the, re- the reason I laugh there is um, uh, the case that, that that has always stuck with me is the the Brighton Trunk Murders. Um, now, I say murders, but there's only one that we can prove was actually in, in, in within the actual story. There's there's bits and pieces. The reason I laugh there is on our recording podcast equipment just now. I have the uh, please don't leave baggage equipment um, un- unattended or we'll blow it up and I keep pressing it at the wrong time instead of doing the <laughs> outro music to, to Twisted <laughs> But It was one of my um, most interesting readings because it is one like your blackout ripper there will be no end to that. We have no idea the the, the scope and the, the, the width of what actually happened there or whether it was a coincidence that, that s- several women's bodies turned up in trunks and lockers at the same time Having said that, the one that affected me most, it was now 98% of the podcasts that that I did with Nadine or that I do with Ali um, are all historical. We don't like to do living memory podcasts uh, cases because it just I don't feel comfortable doing them. The one that we did do was the Breck Bednar case, um, where he was groomed by essentially a peer of his online. Um, before online gaming rooms were a thing and it was done via messaging boards Um, and it hit really home with me because actually we grew up Ali and I both grew up in a time where we gamed a lot we're both still big uh, gamers and this really unfortunate soul got sucked into a world that he should never have been exposed to and was ended up horrifically murdered by one of the nastiest men that ever walked this country and I'll leave it at that because it really upsets me. Um, I said we will come back to you in, in a second, or and I don't want to come back to you specifically because of the the troubles what you're talking about. I just noted, Casey, when you were talking, you were really careful about your words that you chose there. You you, you specifically didn't say cult. You kept saying group, and I wanted to put it to the the cult, sorry, the group that is here. <laughs> um, are you really careful about? What you say? Are you really careful about the, the cases you pick and the words that you choose to tell them? Is it something that processes your mind when you're doing that?
5: There are certain cases I won't touch. There are certain ones because, like you, I don't like doing living memory ones if I can help it. Um, but there are certain ones I can't touch because I, 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 I contact families if I can, and I ask, and sometimes they say no, so I'll never do those ones. But there are certain things that make me uncomfortable... If I know somebody could possibly have parole and I would think of them like that, that would put me off just in my head, mainly because I have a family and stuff. And I don't think anything actually would happen, but possibilities are always a thing. And because of podcasts and stuff, you do become hyper-alert to to what you do and what you say. And there are certain words you you wouldn't say. And I've been pulled up on... I I think I was speaking to somebody earlier. I would had a comment from somebody who, who... I'd listened to the show but weren't a follower or anything and they were like, why did you say um, completed suicide instead of committed? And having to explain that, and it's just about being respectful. I think everybody here certainly is just about being as respectful as possible. So when it comes to wording, for me, that's what it is.
2: I think also knowledge as well. I, I find that sometimes when I go through, like, court records or the, the police files, I've worked out that... I'm in a very privileged position that I know more than the family knows. And it's, and it's a really fine line. Quite often families will get in contact and will say, what you wrote was bullshit. And then I have to go through the whole process of saying, actually, what you know is only a version of what you've been told. And it's not entirely true. And that's really difficult to say to someone, the person you loved and the person who's no longer there who can't fight for themselves, now... What you know about them is probably not true. They may have lied to you, or they may have
4: skipped over some details. So it's it's difficult, isn't it? I need to be very careful with the words that I use, um, and it's a bit of a pain when I'm writing because you have to be. It's such a sensitive topic, and what people in the UK would call a terrorist is what people in Northern Ireland might call a freedom fighter. Mm. You know, so you and you never want to convey bias. If if I, I feel like if I convey bias, then the integrity of the podcast is gone. Mm. So I can't convey bias. I have to be very careful with the words that I use to try and just. I just keep imagining it's a tightrope, and I'm trying to stay on the middle. With even like assassinate versus murder, killed versus. You have to be so mm-hmm. careful with the words that you use. Um, plus, I have no idea understanding of libel laws, so I try and stick. With, <laughs> I try and stick with people who are, you know, not around anymore. Uh, I have no idea how I write about Jerry Adams.
2: God We'll <laughs> oh, no, so just wait
1: a few years it's a, it's a wonderful uh, point to move on I suppose um, We've been talking in your ears for a wee while now And we'll, we'll come to a wrap up But I would like to pose everybody one question Before we do If you Sat here now Had never started a podcast But you know what you know now Would you have started a podcast? Would you start a podcast now Adam? Yeah I would start a podcast because I know it's
6: a lot of work and sometimes when you're tired and, and life happens it's a bit of a pain but look at the guys we're sitting with the people in the room today you know, they've started off as people we just knew of their podcast they've become friends and, it, and it's one of those things that when I started a podcast I thought I might be in competition with other podcasters but we've discussed this a lot here we're not, we're not in competition we, we share listeners, there's enough cake to go all round mm-hmm. and it, I think it's a really nice community
5: I don't think I would ever give this up. There's always going to be a bit of me that would want to do it anyway, so I would have been doing this either way. It's like what you were saying about the fact that we have a little community here. We're not competitors, and we can all kind of lean on each other. There are times where we cross over on cases and things like that, but we all have different skills, and we all create different shows, completely unique to us, and I think that's what's brilliant about our community.
6: Well, unless you do the Murder Mar area of London.
5: <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Stay out so. It's
1: the only time he's been sad at me when I did the Blackout Eyed Ripper in one episode. <laughs>
4: yeah. Uh, Oshin? Yeah, I'd say absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, I can't like paint a picture. i uh, awful, absolutely awful. But for me, this is—I've never felt such a sense of satisfaction to essentially be a creative, even if I'm writing a very dense, murky piece. You're creating absolutely nothing, you're making something. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, when you hear feedback, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful when people reach sure. out. Rarely that they do, but when they do, it's, it's just so satisfying. You know?
0: yeah. Hitting the upload button after mm-hmm. <laughs> the of well, uh, putting an episode together is probably one of the most, it's like a, it's like a hit on the old.
1: You're the newest starter of us all.
0: I think, I think I probably am, yeah. I, I really love podcasting. I really love the format that, that podcasting takes. But I find that I love speaking with people. So if it wasn't podcasting, I think maybe it would be journalism or maybe it would be working with survivors in... Um, in an expert recovery capacity um, but I, I love podcasting and I find the subject of cults and coercion fascinating so the fact that I'm able to merge those two things together and then come to a place like CrimeCon where you would think that you know 50 podcasters all working in the true crime space as, as an- Ad- Adam and Chantal have mentioned we're all carving out our own small space within that space, and and it really does feel, <coughs> it really does feel wonderful. So yeah, I'm I'm thankful every time I get the opportunity to be, to be at, at these events, and looking forward to going to see Adam and Paul, <laughs> and Mike at their live show. Tickets of available. Come
1: on, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll those tickets in a minute, don't you want? Uh, Mike, would you
2: would you start a podcast now, knowing what you knew? Absolutely. Uh, every single thing. That creative that I've done in my life has led to this moment every time in my past as like writing different things putting on different plays my love of recording audio and making little soundscapes it's all led up to this so I, I I don't know what's coming next but this is this is like a cherry on the cake it's wonderful and as we've all said even if even if our podcast network collapsed tomorrow all of us in this room would still be doing it not making any money and still doing it because we love it
3: Paul yeah, there's nothing else I can add really that the rest around the table have said, I'd certainly start it tomorrow again, yeah, it's my passion and as uh, Casey said before, when you get that when you upload you get that buzz don't you and seeing some of the feedback about how they mm-hmm. touch people and mm-hmm. you know, my said we're lucky enough to have patreon now as well we? I mean, it's yeah absolutely wonderful thing experience
7: could I convince you to start another alley uh, Knowing what I know now? Yeah. Absolutely it's fantastically <laughs> rewarding it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done but I certainly can't imagine doing it by myself or without you and Aww. Aww. I think that's true. <laughs> it's true <laughs> <laughs> this gives me a great opportunity to thank him as well because I certainly would never have started a podcast without Being pushed by Bob to come and join him, (laughs) he's in a cult. Shush!
1: I wouldn't. Uh, I've had enough of this shit. I'm getting out. No, not at all. I think you
0: should have asked, actually, like, how many podcasts uh, do you have in your mind? Like, when, when you actually, how do you stop podcasting once you've started? Because I have like a thousand. Oh yeah, they they, they (laughs) keep coming.
5: I said that
1: was the last question i'm going to do this and i just want one answer out of you just a sentence or a, a, or a title ali and i did this during um and any questions answered session that we had our facebook followers sending answers we were asked if you had to start a podcast now and it wasn't true crime what would the title of the show be
4: um i love the kings of leon
5: badly written
0: porn yeah
4: <laughs> mr big speaking of
0: <laughs> in my street
4: cake
7: shagging <laughs>
1: anonymous <laughs> poetry and I, and I would like to review uh, the same pint of tenants in every pub in Scotland so uh, my pint my time
2: yes.
1: um, and talking of time we are running out of it um, I would like to thank you guys for listening as always I would like to thank Adam Chantel, Oshin Casey, Mike Paul, and Ali, for well you had no choice you were joining me anyway, (laughs) uh, for joining us if you want to listen to uh, our voices again and why the hell would you not, you can find the UK True Crime Lady Justice podcast Uh, The Troubles, Cult Vault Murder Mile, True Crime Enthusiast and Twisted Britain, pretty much anywhere you find a podcast, if you can't find it Google it Um, (laughs) I would like to say thank you for listening and uh, goodbye Thanks
0: Paul You've been listening to Crime Conversations recorded live at CrimeCon 2022 partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events visit crimecon.co.uk